Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the bi-weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. We have an awesome episode planned. My guest today is a graduate and former chef instructor of Johnson & Wales University, and he has a great culinary school story that he's going to share with all of us. It is my pleasure to introduce Chef Gregory Gagoni. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'd like to start right out by asking, how did you get into cooking? Oh, well, actually, it, it, was, it was sort of, it was one of those moments in life that was very defining for me. So I was in college. Um, I had started out, you know, just in general business, like a lot of other people, at, you know, when you're 18, 19. And, um, and all my friends, you know, were going to school and they were doing sales and marketing classes, and, and as was I. And, and honestly, none of it resonated for me. Um, I, I really <laughs> was not... It was, it was just, I didn't really get, you know, why I wanted to go sell um, nuts and bolts when I graduated from college at, at 21 or 22, you know, that it, it was not a life that I could see myself doing. So um, I was at the time in Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, taking a few classes at UMass, just some, some uh, things that you have to take. I think it was an accounting class and I took an, an English class. And, uh, and honestly, I needed money. Um, you know, my parents were supporting me to a degree, but I needed spending money and, and just to live on money. And so um, I put applications all around Amherst, uh, including a restaurant called Plumley's Off the Common. And it had been there for years and it was a pretty well-known place. And on a Friday night, I was at home. I literally, I, had, I didn't have any money. I didn't have enough money to go out on a Friday night and any of that kind of stuff. I was sitting at home, feel sorry for myself, I think. And the phone rang and it was the executive chef at Plumley's Off the Common. And so, um, and I want to say it was like five o'clock in the evening. And he goes, hey, um, I got your application in front of me. Uh, I, I don't have a dishwasher or a pot washer tonight. And uh, do you want to come in and help? And I'm like, sure, what do I need to wear? And he literally, t- and, I, and he said, a t-shirt, jeans and sneakers. I said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And so again, it was just it was just the necessity to have a, a part-time job to keep going through school and, and, and live in Amherst. And I walked in and it was a very busy restaurant. I I, I want to say on a you know on the weekends, they were probably doing you know 250 on covers in the evening and, and they were also doing lunch. It was it was a pretty busy place. And so they had a, a pot washer and a dishwasher, and I was the pot washer, and I'd never done it before. And I had my standard three compartment sink and somebody stood there and told me what to do. And uh, hours and hours and hours of later, uh, I successfully made it through my first evening and I couldn't wait to get back the next day. As crazy as it sounds, I was so excited at all the action. I just saw all the energy in the back of the house and it, and it completely changed my viewpoint and I was just like, wow, this is, I want to, I need to know more about this. I got you the, you got bitten by the bug, right? You're, I got bitten by the bug. Now, how did that, how did that uh, translate into culinary school? Why did you decide to go and where, why did you pick the campus and the school that you did? So uh, this is the early eighties. Okay. So this is well before, you know, the 
Art Institute and all the other stuff that, that blew up, in the, I guess, in the 90s, I want to say. It was just limited choices back then. Very limited choices at the time. So what happened was I, I started working at this place and and, um, and and I was promoted to dishwasher. So I went from pot washer to dishwasher <laughs> and, and, I, and I developed a connection with a sous chef. And as a matter of fact, his name was Jonathan. I'll never forget him. And so, uh, so Jonathan, you know, I would ask questions every once in a while about certain things. And um, he was very, he was very nice and he was very willing to share information. And one day he's like, Hey, um, I've got a, a case of uh, romaine lettuce that needs to be prepped. He says, I got you set up in, in the, in the pantry to knock out a case of romaine. I'm like, okay. So, uh, he brings me in there. Never, you know, I, obviously I, a matter of fact, I don't even think I went into that part of the kitchen yet. So there I see a case of, uh, romaine, some, a sink, two carbon sink and a knife. Uh, a 10 inch chef's knife and a cutting board. So I'm looking at this and, and I looked at him. I go, I said, well, this, yeah, I'm happy to do it. I said, are you going to show me how to use this thing? 10 inch French knife. So, you know, if you've never handled a knife before, a 10 inch fresh French knife is not exactly, you know, a toy. Um, and so he showed me how to use it, took a few minutes. And again, it's just romaine lettuce. So it was not, not a complicated process. So I learned how to do that. And then I started doing every shift I was in, I was started doing the romaine and then it turned into, Hey, we need you to help us with the chocolate mousse. So I literally, one of the very first recipes I ever executed and learned how to do was, you know, chocolate mousse with, you know, whipping the, the, the whites, the, the cream, melting the chocolate, adding the, adding the, the liqueur and, and whipping the egg yolks and folding it all in. That's, that's what I, that was the very first recipe I learned to execute in a professional restaurant. So I just got excited. I, I just, you know, I wanted to do more. And, and I think they even stuck me on the fryer. They started sticking me on the fryer on the line. And again, I, the energy and everything was great. And so I, so one day I said to Jonathan, I said, well, how do you learn about this? I go, obviously, I mean, you know, I'm watching the chef and I'm watching the sous chef and they clearly had certain skills and understanding. And he goes, well, you go to culinary school. I go, well, tell me about that. And so, um, so he explained to me about culinary school. I'm like, wow, well, where do you go? And at the time, uh, CIA and J&W were, were the two, you know, names in the industry. And so, and I was equal distance from both at the time in Amherst. So, so, and I, and I really didn't know anything about the history of either, uh, organization, to be honest with you. But the one thing I did know is that CIA had a six month waiting list. And so, uh, and this was in the early part of the year, I want to say in January or so. And so uh, there was an open house at J&W. And, and so I got my car and I went down to Johnson Wales and I spent a day there. I got, you know, I was shown around, uh, you know, what goes on and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, I said, well, when, when would I be able to start? And, uh, cause that's all I cared about. I just wanted to, if I was going to go, I need, I need to do it now. I mean, it was already into college a couple of years. So I'm like, I'm ready to do something. And so it turned out I could start in early March in the third try, the trimester. And so I signed up. Well, I called my parents. I go, by the way, here's, here's what's going on. I'll never forget that phone call. I'm sitting in someone's office, you know, in Providence, you know, calling for money, dialing for dollars. Right. So I talking to mom and dad, telling them everything that happened. And, uh, you know, like a month later, I started school. And so it's all about timing. And, and it was just, I could see the curriculum and understand what, 
what where they were going to go with it. And I was just, I was on board. And so I started third try uh, that year. Awesome. Let's go back to that first day then when, uh, when was it in March there when you started? What, what, what was going through your head when you came on campus? I mean, you had to get your uniforms, get your knives, you're walking on yeah. campus. What, what, what is going through your head? What are you thinking? Well, of course, at, at the time, um, everybody wore whites. I mean, we're talking white everything, white pants, uh, white, you know, apron, white jacket. And so at first I was like, because that, that was not the environment I had been working in. Obviously, I mean, we were wearing jeans and, and, and T-shirts, but I mean, the cooks were wearing, you know, a, a jacket or whatever. Um, and so at first I thought, wow, this is interesting. We, you know, I, I thought we looked a little funny uh, coming from my perspective. You know, we're all in white. But I did learn how to do laundry. Let me tell you one thing. Because <laughs> uh, we had we had lineup every day. So trust me, I pass every day. And so so anyway, so the first day, I'll, I'll never forget this. It was funny because it was production class where we were feeding the kids in the dorm. And so um, and I was living off campus. I had an apartment and, and stuff. And yeah, I was just a, a couple years older than a lot of the students. And I didn't really want to live in a dorm again. So anyway, so that class, we learned to produce the food for the cafeteria at the, you know, at the dorm area. Uh, you know, you show up and I don't know, I forget how many people are in the class, we'll say 15 or whatever. And there's TAs all over the place and chef instructors. And, and honestly, I don't even remember who the instru instructor was at this point. But what I do remember is that the very first day, we're serving breakfast. I mean, you know, you're there at, you know, oh, dark 30 in the morning. And as a, as a class, and that's how you started. So it was, it was really, it was like being at work, except that you knew nobody and it was all, and you're being judged and you're having to be in uniform. So it was, it was definitely a, an intimidating moment trying to get, just get your feelers like, like, geez, how do I fit into all this? And what am I supposed to do? And of course you get assignments, but every, every day the assignment is, is something you've never done before. And uh, the, the funniest memory I have of that course was there was a kid there from Maine who was one of my classmates. He had never been in a kitchen, like never. It, or at least I had been working in a kitchen for several months and, you know, and I had some nice skills at that point. I knew certain things and could identify stuff. So it wasn't like a complete foreign animal to me. But this kid was his first day in a commercial kitchen. And I, I forget what he had to prep, but I'll never forget this kid cut every single finger <laughs> on his left hand he's he was right-handed and and i was just i was kind of laughing it was nothing bad I, I mean not to laugh at people that cut themselves but it was just i felt so bad because it was his first day you know and and he hadn't had knife skills yet and he's having to do knife work and he literally had band-aids on every single finger by the end of the day and had a glove on and it was just it kind of tickled me and never and he was just he was freaked out i mean he just absolutely had no idea what's going on so that was my my first day in culinary school. <laughs> yeah. Feeling bad about the kid from Maine, but also just trying to you know figure it out myself and and uh, and having to get up really early. Uh, I think I had been working nights uh, before at the restaurant, and so I, I I think we had to be there like five in the morning, something like that. It was it was early. Yeah, to serve breakfast. And so um, that was my first memory and experience at J and W. They always uh, seem to cut themselves that first day when they get those brand new knives because they're so sharp. And, right. and I guess they used to never seen them or dealing with dull knives and someone will run their finger down them or <laughs> Yeah. Funny stuff. Now thinking about the curriculum overall, if you can think back, what was your best class and what was maybe your worst class and why? 
Well, um, uh, David LaRousse was teaching a sauce class. And so, and he, he was kind of a character. I, I have no idea where he is these days or whatever happened to him. You know, and he had, he had a book, he had, he had some cookbooks out and, um, you know, David LaRousse, which LaRousse, for, for those that are in our audience don't know, LaRousse Gastronomique, which matter of fact, you can see right there on my bookshelf right behind me. Um, and so I, I was always intrigued by this gay guy, David, you know. But sauce, sauce class was, I thought was very interesting. I, I really enjoyed that because there's a lot of technique and, and there's just a lot of information. And it's very dense and, and, and I really, really enjoyed that class. Um, I thought it was really cool. Uh, another class that I found absolutely fascinating because I had no background in it was, was uh, Asian cuisine. And I don't necessarily remember what it was called back then, but um, we had a you know, a lab with, that was set up, you know, with the walks and, and everything you needed. And, and I'll never forget, we're in there being silly, you know, with, with our chopsticks, learning to move beans and learn how to use a chopstick. And I don't think I've ever had ever used one. So that was kind of funny. But I'll never forget the chef that was there. And he was this hardcore, you know, older guy. And I, I'm not sure where he was from, but somewhere, in, you know, in, sorry, in the east. And, and he goes, well, and, and we're all standing around the walk. And he's heating up the oil and he goes, so do you not, you know, when to throw the food in? And, and we're all kind of like, no idea. Like when we should start, you know, putting stuff in the wok and he takes his finger and he sticks his finger in the oil, in the wok. And he never, he never takes his eye off of us. And he looks at it and goes, it's hot enough. <laughs> and, and that was, that was the lesson of like, holy mackerel, this guy's insane. But we learned a lot and uh, we went through all the regions of China and, and all that innate cuisine, you know, from each, each of those areas. So it was fascinating to learn about, you know, cuisine from that perspective. And so um, I really enjoyed that class. It was, it was a lot of fun. Did you have a worse one, one you didn't like or they were all good? Yeah, I, I, was just, I know you asked me that. So what, what didn't I like? Um, Might have been just the, not just the content. It could have been the instructor. It could have been, you know, time of day. Right, or, right. You know, I, I wasn't big into pastry. Um, I was definitely not that guy. And so the pastry classes got a little bit, I, I was, it, it was just, too, it was not my thing. And so uh, I enjoyed my baking class. I mean, we had a guy who was the, the baker who uh, had been, been in the Navy like for 20 years or something. He was a total professional baker. I mean, this guy had been doing it, you know, for 30 years. And I found that that was a good class, the baking, but the pastry piece, just, it just didn't do much for me. Even though I liked watching pull, I watched a master chef pull, you know, sugar for the first time and how effortless he was. And I mean, this guy was ancient. I mean, he was, he was 70 if, if he was a day. He was a really, you know, kind man, but he was a master chef and he was pulling, you know, he was pulling sugar like, you know, you, you, you tie your shoe. It was like unbelievable how effortless it was and how amazing it was. And then we get in there and start doing it. And it was just a total mess. It was like, you know, couldn't, couldn't go, couldn't do that. Uh, speaking of master chefs, you previously told me that you worked with Robert Nograd. Can you tell us a little bit about working with him? Well, actually, um, Chef Nograd was the head of culinary at the time. And I mean, I don't even think he was teaching labs anymore. And so, you know, so most of the time when I saw him, he was in a suit, you know, and so he was like, he was the dean and, and everybody feared him, <laughs> the TAs, the students, everybody was just like, you know, the guy would walk in, it was like, everybody kind of like, you know, would pause. And, and it was, it was in that same class I was, I would describe, it was my first week. And, and I remember 
or a second week. Uh, I think that was a, it was two six day cycles, something like that. And it was my job. I was having to do dinner and I was prepping mashed potatoes and all the potatoes have been peeled and were in a big, big bucket. And I'm having to, I'm having to pull them out because I got to boil them and, and all that to, to soften them up to make mash. And I'm like trying to like figure out how to get these things out. And I don't remember what I was doing. Maybe I was using a pair of tongs and trying to get them out. And I, you know, and he's walking through the class and I catch him out of the corner of my eye and he sees me and he just stopped dead in his tracks, walks over to the rack pulls out a strainer, hands it to me, and he goes, why don't you try this? Very nice. And, and I looked at him, I go, thank you, chef. And he just kept walking. And I'm like, it was like the perfect tool, right? I mean, it's like, there's always the right tool, correct? Or right process for, for anything you do in a the kitchen. There's always a better way to do it. And he just handed that thing to me. And it was just like, oh, well, of course. And so I, I'll just never forget that. And I, I never worked for him directly. You know, I was a student then. and you know, uh, after I left school, I, I never went back to Providence, but, uh, and he never, he was never down in Charleston for sure. Uh, when I was down there as a chef instructor, but yeah, I just, it really struck me that, you know, somebody at that level, you know, observation skills are very important in the kitchen. I mean, if you can't see everything going on at the same time as exec chef, I mean, you, you need to, and he just saw it, saw that person struggling and, and just said, here's, here's your solution. And just kept walking. The whole thing took like 10 seconds, but it just stuck with me. Yeah, he spent a lot of time in Florida. And the first time I met him, I was working as kind of with, as you mentioned, Peter James and Jim Lyle in that division, which was kind of the continuing education. Oh, yeah. So they asked me to go over to Tampa and do a, a demonstration at a food show. And I was supposed to go with Dean Nograd. And being new, I didn't, I didn't know who that was. So they told me to go to his house. They gave me his address and we were going to drive over together. So I go there and I knock on the door and I say, is Dean here? Because I'm thinking his first name is Dean. <laughs> so he kind of looks at me with his head torn <laughs> sideways and I said, Dean Nograd. And he goes, yeah, that's me, you know, with his thick accent. Go ahead and get in the car and let's go. And the whole way, I'm like, so how you doing, Dean? What's going on, Dean? <laughs> so, Dean, about halfway across Alligator Alley, he finally goes, you can call me Robert. <laughs> I said, okay. That's I said, funny. I thought his name was Dean because, you know, I didn't know anything at the time. And I'm like, oh, it's Dean sure. Robert Nograd. So funny story with him. But yeah, he was uh, very talented. And as you mentioned, he had, did have a presence when he went through the labs and walked the hallways. He did. And he just seemed to know everybody in the industry seemed to love him, you know, between the ACF or, you know, corporate, you know, uh, people, they, you know, when I go to a mixer, you know, like when you, when you, when you go into that period where, where you're trying to find a job and you go to these, um, you know, socials and you, and you meet the companies and you get to hear their pitch. I mean, they would love to have them there and stuff, you know, you know, whether it be Marriott or somebody like that, they just, they just love to have Chef Nograd there. Yeah. I think he was the first, I think I heard the first certified master chef by the ACF. I think he was the number one. Oh, that's interesting. I, I actually didn't know that. So do you have any other story about classes that you remember? Or maybe something happened to somebody else or another class that was going on that, that you could uh, share? Oh, hmm. Boy, we're really digging deep here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It really was. Um, you know, I, this is this is what I'll say though. I mean, I I don't really have a specific. Now you gotta remember, I was in the uh, old style John's, you know, uh, Providence, the the original uh, building, and it was outbuildings for our academic classes and stuff. So it's not what you see today. It's it's completely not even in the same 
category of opulence <laughs> that that we had. Although, I mean, the, the kitchens were very well equipped in the dining rooms and all that. Uh, but I have to say, I, I found it really interesting just, you know, from an operational point of view. I think I learned just as much from a management point of view, understanding how everything was connected, how each class connected to another class from goods receiving to storeroom to, you know, process, you know, meat pro uh, processing to the kitchen, to the dining room. And so there was this whole dance that was going around, you know, to feed that noontime meal that was actually a class. Um, and so for me, it was it was the ability to really, I mean, I, I love the culinary piece of the business for sure, but that's what really lit me up was understanding how all this fit together, like I said, from goods receiving and then and then facilities management, our facilities training, you know, learning about how to design a kitchen and the flows and all that. Those were the classes that took me on my path uh, because in actual fact, when I graduated from culinary, I went straight into food and beverage management. Um, I got hired by a resort um, in uh, Sun Valley, Idaho. Um, it's, it's one of the oldest ski resorts in the world and you know, super high end, really nice and here I am, you know, what at that time, I guess I was about 22 or whatever, by the time I, I, I graduated and left and I got hired into food and beverage management. And, and so it was an amazing leap having gone from, you know, the first couple of years of college, just confused and not have any grounding or, or knowing where I wanted to go. And then two years later with it, when an associate's degree from Johnson Wales, walk into a management position at such a nice place with such a, you know, a lot of, a lot of mentors, and a lot of, a lot of training and opportunity for me. And so it, it was, it was an amazing experience going through Johnson Wales Providence and the opportunities. Again, I, I was, I was a little bit older than a lot of the other students. And so, um, you know, not by much, a couple of years, but I definitely had the attitude of this is my career and this is my job to learn about it. And this is where I'm going with it. And so, you know, I, I, that, that whole experience, you know, obviously just changed the entire trajectory of my life, even to this day. Now, part of that career path took you full circle because you came back as an instructor. Can you tell I us did. a little bit about, about where you were teaching and how that was, what, sure. we, what you taught, how the students were compared to when you were in school? Right, right. So after, I, like I said, I went to go work for a resort um, in Sun Valley, Idaho. I was uh, a restaurant manager for the winter season. And then during the summer season, I was the assistant banquet manager. We did a lot of events. And uh, it was just a tremendous experience. Uh, but then uh, uh, an opportunity opened up for me um, with Weston Hotels and Resorts. And so they had a property in downtown, or they're still there, it's in downtown Cincinnati uh, at Fifth and Vine is a really big hotel. Uh, and at the time, it was a big, you know, considered a big hotel, 450 rooms. But what they had was a huge catering operation, banquet operation. And so I was hired away from where I was to go work at Weston as the assistant banquet manager. And so um, I did that for a number of years and, and it was in hotel management and, and I just loved it. And I even moved into the rooms division. Um, I, I learned about the front office and, and I had the ability to interact with every department in the hotel. And and again, it was it was like it was sort of that same lens of when I was at school watching the operation of how how it all worked, the flow of food and, and process. Same thing in the hotel industry. In the position that that I ended up um, getting promoted to, I was what they called the hotel assistant manager. You know, we were there eight hour shifts every day, 
um, and if there was a problem or whatever, we would interact with every department. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that I was really into all that and I really enjoyed it. And then I found myself uh, eventually in, in 1989, I was outside of Boston working at a hotel in, in Natick. And uh, my parents had retired down in Charleston, South Carolina and, and bought a house in uh, Mount Pleasant. And so I was visiting them and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is really nice down here. You know, and I had never lived down south and always been, you know, kind of a northeast kind of guy. And so I said, well, you know, the schools got there. I go, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll meet someone at the school and just kind of find out what's going on here in town. And if there's an opportunity for me to network and, and, and uh, find a job in Charleston, you know, why not? And so I went in and the timing was amazing because it was like a, a career day. Uh, for Johnson Wales. So I went in and, and because I was alumni, you know, I got it, I was able to come in and um, there was a guy named Marion Dorr uh, ran that program. And he was just a wonderful, incredible gentleman, you know, from Charleston, been there his whole life. He was a total class act. He was an amazing guy. And, and he just sort of, you know, bonded with me. And, and again, I was older than the other students because at this point, you know, I'm, I'm getting close to 30. I was not your typical, you know, graduating student looking for a job. And so Marion Dorr introduced me a whole bunch of people in the local industry there, you know, and, and he understanding that I wanted to move there and stuff. And so um, I also met the dean, the, the head of the school at, at the same time. It never entered my head that I was going to work at Johnston Wales. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, I hadn't really been a working chef, you know, to be honest with you. I've been in food and beverage management uh, a ton and done a lot of things, but the idea of, you know, being presumptuous that I was going to be a chef instructor was not entering my head. But, I, you know, it's like being at the right place at the right time. And there was a position that was open that was a year round position because the school was in this building, was the old cigar factory. And it was a really cool old building. And there was a cafe there. And the cafe was actually open year round and it supported the local business and as well as the school. So the, the dean at the time said, hey, look, I got this job that it's a chef instructor, but there's more, you're also gonna be part of the team that's here year round because we need someone to manage the cafe and run it regardless of whether there's students here or not. And so financially, it sort of worked by being a 12-month employee versus a, you know, just a chef instructor. The salary was like, I was like, okay, well, I'll, why not? I'll, I'll go ahead and try, right? And so I went in and here I am. I become a chef instructor and, and I'm head of the cafe. And, you know, I just sort of eased into it. And um, everybody was super supportive and I had a great experience and I ended up doing, uh, I moved on from that. I was still there full time uh, for three years, uh, but I, I did uh, Garmage one And then during the summer, I did advanced, advanced classes, which I absolutely love because for those in your audience who don't know what advanced classes are, these are people that have been in the industry for a while and they have certain skills and, and you know, from a freshman curriculum point of view, they pretty much already know a lot of it. So they go through this advanced program. And then when they finish that, they do their sophomore year and they graduate. So basically you can graduate in a, in about a full 12 months, you know, do the summer and then the three tries, and then you, you can graduate with an associate degree. So that was a phenomenal class. Um, I had some amazing students in there. And as a matter of fact, too, I, I still know some of them to this day. 
um, that were in that advanced class. And at the same time I started, I actually opened a small restaurant in Mount Pleasant. And a lot of these people worked for me because they were, they were older and I, I wasn't much old. I was about the same age as them at that point uh, for and many of the people in my class. So that was an amazing experience, but I love teaching production class. That was the other class I was in charge of was doing production. Um, I, I just love that. And then, uh, you know, next to me in the, in the lab next to me was uh, Chef Carl Gugamas, who went on to become the dean of culinary for the entire school. And so, uh, you know, Carl, Carl had come from industry and, and worked. I mean, you know, he apprenticed from a very young age in Germany and then worked corporate jobs all over the, all over the United States. And then he became a chef instructor. And so um, I had the pleasure of, of working with Carl. And he was amazing. I mean, uh, the stuff that he would do. And he was doing advanced garmage and some other classes. And I was doing production one and garmage one. And then I was running, running the cafe at the same time. So it was, a, it was an amazing experience. And I'm very grateful that I got to do that. Did they have any training for you as a new instructor? Did they put you on mentorship? Someone put you under the wing or here you go. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I've always been able to think of my feet pretty well. And, and I've, I've been managing staffs, sure. you know, for the last, for 10 years before that, or, you know, eight years anyway. So, you know, I, I kind of approached it from an operational point of view and, and understood. And of course, you know, I'd ask questions of other instructors and the dean and stuff. So, you know, it all seemed to work out. Um, you know, my fr- the very first class I had to teach, it, which was funny, it was the same class that I had my first class in as a student wow. earlier. And I had I had all these freshmen show up, never been in a kitchen before, and I had to put out breakfast for, for the entire building. And, and so, of course, the first day, it, it's no, it's not state secrets. I hope um, you know we we modify, we make sure the recipe. And the, and the menu is executable, even if we have to do it by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> that was always the key. It's like, don't count on the students to put out this meal. Just make sure it's you know going to be look good, taste good, and you're going to feel good putting it out. So, you know, the first couple of days uh, of freshman class, we, we make sure that it's nothing overwhelming. But yeah, that was literally the first class. You might have that student from Maine again, you know, cutting his fingers. Well, and, and I did to a degree. One of my students was in, in that first lab and, and we're, we're in the back of the cafe and we're making breakfast and, you know, I'd given assignments out and, you know, everybody's like doing their thing and, and I'm over here doing this and the TA's over there and, you know, we got everybody doing their stuff. And, and suddenly there's this smell in the kitchen was like, what is smell? And there's smoke coming out of the toaster. And it was just like, oh my, you know, it's like, oh geez, you know. And your first instinct is that the conveyor toaster stopped and there's a piece of toast in there it's just burning up, right? Well, that's not what happened. This student, there was one guy that was assigned to do the toast for the for the for the line. And of course, you know, you just show them like, you know, here's here's how it works. You turn it on and you put your toast in, it comes out the bottom. This is not this is pretty simple stuff, right? Well, he decided to take it on his own that not only was he going to toast the bread, but he wanted to butter the bread before it goes into the conveyor toaster. So <laughs> Very efficient. Oh, yeah, because he thought it'd be more, you know, gourmet or something. <laughs> well, you know, um, heat and, and fat 
and particularly butter in a conveyor. Conveyor toasters are very hot. I mean, you have these coils in there that are just screaming red hot. And of course, the butter catches on fire as it's going up through its arc and, and getting close to the uh, <laughs> to the elements that are in the conveyor. And and the thing the thing just starts smoking and billowing, and we're going like, "What is going on?" <laughs> so it's like you know, walk over there, unplug the toaster is the first thing I did, and uh, and I was looking at the kid like, "What what happened?" <laughs> he goes, well, "I don't know." And then we dug into it. It's like he put butter on the on the bread to be toasted. And I just kind of looked down and go, so what gave you that idea? Who told you to, actually, no, I said, so let me ask, I said, who, who told you to do that? Because you just figure if he's a freshman, someone told him to do something, right? But no, he just took it on his own initiative to butter the bread and try to, try to burn the place down. <laughs> Good learning experience there. <laughs> yes. Oh. Let's talk about books since you brought it up. You have quite a few behind you there. What, Three books would you recommend to a culinary student or someone going into this industry? Do you have three good ones? Oh, dear. <laughs> well, I mean, LaRousse Gastronomique is, is a great book just for fun. I mean, uh, you know, maybe, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, it was more applicable to the industry. But I mean, as we know, the industry has changed quite a bit in the, the classic, you know, deep stuff that was done. By, by Scoffier and Karam and, and all these guys. I mean, a lot of those techniques are just no longer used. So, but it's interesting to look, to study that book and look at it just to kind of get the understanding of history and, and where things have come over the years and also appreciate the whole supply chain uh, that's been created in this country and around the world. I mean, it's absolutely amazing uh, what, you know, the, all the support industries that culinary art has come out with, whether it be food or equipment or supplies. It, you have to admire what, what has happened over the last 30 years uh, in our industry. Uh, so I have to share this with you because this is Julia Childs. Oh. So this is just a great book. So if you're, if because your friends always ask you, how do you cook and all that? So, you know, like I had the whole series that she did on PBS. I mean, I've watched all those videos because I, I just think it's, it's historic. And I think she's an unbelievable woman. I mean, if you have not, if you have not watched the film about her and, and other shows about her, she's well worth learning about. Sure. She's a spectacular person, what, what she went through. Uh, as for a woman to go to France in the '60s, late '50s and '60s, and 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 try to learn culinary arts from these, I would say, rather arrogant French chefs, <laughs> uh, is pretty remarkable. And she stuck with it. I mean, God love her. I mean, she did not let. It, I mean, she knew it was coming, and she just dealt with it. And and as a result, I mean, she's international uh, fame now and well loved by many. So I, I I just think it's a great book. So if you if you want to give a gift to a friend who wants to learn more about cooking, I would recommend grabbing this because it is written for you know a home cook. But it's also really good, I think, to understand a lot of those techniques that, that she got trained about. I have to agree because if you look right here over my mic, you can see I have them right there. Oh, nice. Okay. Two volumes. There you go. Those are definitely good ones. Good books. There you go. Yeah, the other one's over there too. God, that's funny. Yeah. I, I just think it's a terrific book, and the videos are phenomenal. Mm. I also have the modernist cuisine. Uh, again, it's for for me, it's more just about learning and understanding what's out there because you know my career path has taken me in a, in a, in a very different direction 
than some, some others. And so when it comes to the high-end hotels and the high-end restaurants that are out there and some of the, the techniques and things they're doing, I, I never trained in that. And, I, and I, I'm not exposed to that. You know, in 2008, um, I moved into healthcare. Right. And so I can promise you, no, nobody is doing, you know, smoking things under glass or freezing things with using nitrogen and, or vacuum sealing and all that. Nobody's doing any of that kind of stuff. And so it's just not part of, of what I need to know right now. So, but I like to stay up on certain things. I like to look at videos and I like to look at books like that just to kind of keep myself aware of what's going on because inevitably things catch up to other sectors of the industry. You know, having work in resorts and restaurants and then hotels and then getting into senior living and, and acute care hospitals. You can see the progression from segment to segment as the evolution of culinary arts has taken place and how it affects other mar- you know, other sub-markets of food and beverage. I think it's very interesting. You mentioned healthcare. Tell us, what are you doing now? What is your business? Maybe give us, uh, the listeners, a little bit about that section of the industry. So uh, in 2008, the economy, as we all know, uh, went sideways, and I was an owner's rep for a group, we were we were about to build a freestanding hotel and a freestanding restaurant in a kind of a little resort area in Western North Carolina, about 30 minutes out of um, Asheville, a town called Brevard. Completely charming, beautiful place, uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. I mean, it's just, you know, all that kind of activity. And so we were literally, we had just pulled the permit to break ground. And this was, you know, a year and a half of just hard work, you know, managing architects and designers and, and everything that had to be done to build these properties, these buildings. And, and the economy uh, took a dive and the money just evaporated. You know, unlike what's happening right now with the COVID-19 situation, investment money just went away and particularly real estate and hospitality. So that project literally died as it was about to begin. And so I was looking at it and I was looking at my career path and I'm like, I'm thinking about, you know, the future at the time I was probably, you know, around 40, you know, 47, 48. So I I still have many years in my career left. So there's going to be more depressions. There's going to be more economic downfalls in the future. You know, what do I need to do? What makes me happy? And and what do I want to do? And the thing I I realized is that food service is always my first love and, and being around food and, and having developing programs with food, stuff like that. That is the thing I always like the most. So I kind of identified that. Then I started looking at all the segments, you know, whether it be fast food to hotels, whatever. I was looking at all the different segments, trying to understand what was going on in the marketplace. And then I kind of stumbled into healthcare and, and reading articles from the government and other, other organizations, realizing that with, the, with what's going on with the baby boomers, that industry is was only going to keep growing. There would be no turning back. And regardless of the economy, hospitals have to stay open. People have to be fed. Senior living has to keep going on because people have to have a place where they can go if they don't want to live at home or they don't have someone to take care of them as they get older. That's never going to change. Um, And so how it looks will change, but that market is never going to go away. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, I've never been in it. And as a matter of fact, when I was in school, just to be quite blunt with everybody, the idea of going into institutional food service was the furthest thing from from my mind. Uh, As a matter of fact, there was a little bit when I was in school at the time, just to show you our arrogance of not understanding. At the time, we thought the people that went into institutional food service was like the bottom part of the class, guys that couldn't cut it in the restaurant and hotel world. 
Then they went to go into what was called then institutional. Now it's called non-commercial. And so they, that never entered my head that I was going to go in those worlds. And so um, in 2008, or actually this is 2007, a job was open in a town I was living at the time with a contractor uh, called Morrison's, part of the Compass Group, largest food service contractor in the world, uh, at a hospital near me, and they need an executive chef. So here it is, 2007 at the end of it. And I'm thinking, I said, well, I haven't been a chef in, in a long time. You know, I mean, I had my own restaurant. I was a chef instructor. But, you know, I really, I, I had been in management, you know, and, and I was in development and I was doing, you know, projects like that. But at the same time, it was a small hospital. So I'm like, it's literally, you know, three quarters of a mile from where I was living. And so I went in and I met the director, who's a very, very nice guy. And I said, look, I just want to introduce myself, tell you who I am. I saw your post in the job. I had no idea if I'm qualified for this or not. I've never worked in a hospital. You know, I was just, I didn't want to waste his time and my time if this was not going to be a go. So when he understood what was going on and he understood what my background was, he was like, please apply for the job. I'm like, okay. So I applied for it and I got the job. And so I became the executive chef in a hospital, never been in a hospital. I mean, I don't even like visiting hospitals, you know. And I became the executive chef uh, at a Morrison account. And, you know, so the first few months was a lot of observation just to understand the, the industry. And um, and then, of course, when you're in operations, as long as I had been in, it doesn't matter what, what space you're in. You see opportunities to streamline and to make things better and improve food quality and the experience for the staff and, and your audience. And so, you know, a few months later, I actually had an opportunity uh, to interview for a job as a director at a hospital campus outside of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. It was a 250 bed hospital. I had a 25 bed behavioral health building in a separate building. And I had a 100 bed nursing home across the street, which was a brand new building. And of course, all the catering and everything that went into it. So to make a long story short, one thing you realize about hospitals, they're very similar to hotels in that you got retail situations, you have lots of catering, you have room service, right? Because you're bringing trays up to the resident, uh, the patient rooms. It's a similar type technique, you know, situation. And, and I've been on many projects since then where it's a true hotel style room service at this point where the patient can call down at any time and order stuff from the menu. And so that's how I got into it. And then from there, like I said, I had I had a nursing home. So I got exposed to senior living like right out of the out of the gate. And I did a bunch of projects there. And so um, I kind of realized with my hospitality background that healthcare was a really good fit for me. And it was a huge opportunity career wise and that I had something to offer. As a matter of fact, the CEO that interviewed me at this hospital, this is what he said to me. And this is and I'm saying this because the audience needs to know that this there are people out here that think like this because Morrison had sent in a whole bunch of people to be interviewed by this guy. And they were, you know, people that were already in hospital accounts in the greater Charlotte area. They wouldn't have to move anybody. It would have been a cheap move. Right. And they were trying to move people up. And I was brand new, basically, the company. But the reason I got that job is because I had hospitality background. And as soon as I sat down in that conference room with the CEO and the HR person and the and what became my client, uh, the vice president, uh, her name was Sandy Butler. And we sat down and he goes, you know why you're here right now? I, he goes, I have no idea why. And he's like, it's because you're a hotel guy. 
I want to meet the hotel guy. And that's exactly why I got the job. He did not want an institutional minded person taking the job of food service because he knew that food service was very important to his operation. Huh, and he, want, he wanted to get that hotel mentality, that hospitality in into it. Yes, exactly. So the moral of the story for everybody listening to this is that hospitals and senior living communities, they love restaurant and hotel, particularly hotel people, because I think the hotel people are more relatable to a lot of people. Not that a restaurant person couldn't do it. Don't get me wrong. But when you learn, when you learn food and beverage in a hotel or a resort, you're going to see all these similarities in these different communities, in these hospitals and stuff, what, what, where your talent can improve the scene at these places. So it's, it was a very valuable lesson to me. And as a result, I ended up becoming a consultant. And, you know, I stayed with Morrison for a certain amount of time. I, I, I don't particularly want to work for a big company, to be honest with you, uh, that environment. And so it was an easy move for me to say, I want to become a consultant. Didn't know what that looked like. And I ended up working for one of the largest consulting companies in the United States that was strictly focused in healthcare. And so I got to be with them for about four years and traveling around the country doing projects. And, uh, and what it taught me is that that industry segment, both those segments, both the acute care side and the senior living side, need a lot of help. Um, they're, they're open to things. Um, if you can find owners or operators that get the hospitality model and know they have to have it, you're, you're going to get along great with people like that. There's still some people that are, I would call old school that really haven't changed with the times yet. But they're becoming less and less frequent. That that model is really dying off. So great advice. Um, it's going away. So one of the things I realized is that it costs a lot of money to hire a guy like me to go in and do a project or a team of people like me going in. And because it's a lot of work. I mean, when you're taking like a hospital from tray line production to hotel style room service, it it is months and months and months of planning and training before you can execute something. It encompasses so many departments. You got IT and nursing and, and food service, obviously, and EVS and you know housekeeping and maintenance. Everybody, it is a it is a big deal to, to move the dial on a project in a hospital. So the, the moral of the story for me was like, it's very expensive and people don't have, but particularly if you're looking at skilled nursing, uh, they don't have those budgets to bring in people like me. And so you know, here we are, you know, two, in 2020, and we realize that education is becoming much more acceptable online. And so, you know, if you have an opportunity to go to culinary school, like a formal culinary school, absolutely, you should go. But you know what? A lot of people can't afford that or they have to keep working. Um, they can't leave work to go to school. And there's a lot of great people out there that need culinary education and food and beverage training that just can't afford it. They have to keep working. Some of these people are married and have kids. They got to take care of their family. So you have to understand that, that there's a lot of that in, in that industry. And so taking it online is where we wanted to go. And two years ago, we started developing this concept that is now called the Pineapple Academy. And we tested it all through 19 with our content. We shot a bunch of stuff and videos and learned about the LMS, learning management system business and how, how to educate people online, what's important, and learning that, you know, short bites is important. You know, it's a YouTube culture. And the key uh, to, to training these days is to be able to have it in a video in short bites. And so we discovered that five minutes or less is a sweet spot for training people. 
And so what, what we have designed content to do is to, to get directly to what they need to know. There's not a lot of theory. There's not formal classes like you would in culinary school. You know, you have to, you have to take English and accounting and, and all that kind of stuff. We're here just to show you what you've got to do. And so we literally start with how to wash produce, how to handle a knife. And then our knife skill actually takes you into how to cut all different types of things from broccoli to onions to bell peppers. So you can actually, if you want somebody to learn how to, how to do celery, put on the celery video. It's just like that story I told about the guy showing me how to do romaine. Well, we can show you how to, how to handle romaine now in, in, a, in less than 10 minutes, a couple of videos, you know, you know what to do. And so that's our approach with the Pineapple Academy is to give people the absolute skill sets they have to have or should have to train or, or to do their job in senior living or in hospitals and give them the, the right skill sets without going overboard so they can be successful and do, do the right thing on a daily basis uh, in these operations. So who would you say was the main customer for Pineapple Academy? So obviously we market directly to owners and operators and to show them you know, what it can do. And, and I can tell you at, at this point, particularly with what's happened with the coronavirus, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it actually helped us quite a bit because people are looking for online solutions and, and they understand that the environment is changing. And so we know that there's a bunch of content that we have to get done now as a result of coronavirus, which we've already done a bunch already, but we know there's more to come that we're going to have to do based on regulations that are going to come from the Fed and come from the states. But, you know, at the end of the day, we want the brand new employee, the guy that walks in the door, just like I did 35, 36 years ago, never been in a kitchen before and give them a leg up so that they can start out the right way in this industry. Because this is a fantastic industry to be in. And food and beverage is a great industry. It's never going to go away. It might, it's going to change and alter for sure. And there's going to be things that are going to happen. But at the end of the day, having good culinary and food and beverage skills is something that you're going to have to have for the rest of your career. And I want that pot washer who starts on day one to have that leg up so that if he wants to become a cook, he can train to become a cook. If he wants to become what they call a certified dietary manager to, to run an operation like that, they can have that opportunity. And we've created a path so that people can do that starting day one with the Pineapple Academy. Now, is there a website that you have that you could share with listeners that may want to get more information? Sure. It's the pineappleacademy.com and make sure you have the the in there. So the pineappleacademy.com. Uh, we also have a, a company page on LinkedIn and, and there's, there's a Facebook page as well. And so it's very easy. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you right now, there's a free course on there right now, regardless of your skill sets or how much experience or, or, or don't have. If you're interested in senior living food service, we have a free course that's on there right now. Is called Introduction to Senior Living in Food Service. And so it's important that if people want to get a taste of what it's like or, or what you need to know, that course, there's, I, I want to say there's like 45 videos in there. So it's, even though it's for free, it's a robust course. And we saw what was going on in the industry. A lot of people are unemployed right now. And we feel terrible about our friends, brothers and sisters in the hotel and restaurant industry. So it was our way of hopefully giving them a tool that they could look at and say, hey, you know what? This senior living is, is a good place to look at. And we want to support our clients, obviously, who are looking for people. 
And we're trying to connect the two industry segments together through this free course. And so I hope people take advantage of it and use it for its intended purposes, which is to hopefully give you a leg up on an application or in a conversation in an interview that, you know, you've learned a few things from the Pineapple Academy about the segment that you're interested in. Great. And I'll be sure to put all those links in the show notes so anybody can find those that may be listening and wants to look back on it. Now, is there an opportunity for continuing education or yes. professional development or, or with taking those classes? So um, we have a relationship. I've personally had a personal relationship with the Association for Nutrition and Food Service Professionals since I became a certified dietary manager back in, uh, I want to say, 2010 or so. And so I got involved with that association. So people that want to learn more about that, you can get that information through our website or our LMS. But we also have a relationship with the University of North Dakota, and so which is an online course. So if you want to become a, what's called a certified dietary manager, which is an accreditation through the Association for Nutrition and Food Service Professionals, it will give you the ability to run a food service operation in skilled nursing, in many assisted living facilities. But like in the state of uh, California, as an example, in order to be the food service director in a hospital, you either have to be a registered dietitian or you have to have a bachelor's degree and be a certified dietary manager. And so that accreditation has picked up a lot of traction over, over the last several years. And so it's important. So if you want to become a food service director in one of these types of operations, we can actually help you get on that path. And as a student of the Pineapple Academy, you'll actually get a discount from the University of North Dakota. We have an exclusive relationship with them. And at some point, we will also be applying for continuing education units, CEUs, through ANFP. And so uh, once we have that all set up, I would say by the end of the year, that'll be in place. So all the stuff that you take from us in classes and webinars and different things, you'll be able to get CEU credits through ANFP for that. And you'll also be able to test out of certain things with UND as a result of that. And, you know, you can get your, your courses done quicker for the online academy. Great. Sounds like an awesome opportunity. And that was thepineappleacademy.com. Yes. Well, as we come to the end of our chat today, and before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance you would leave with the listeners, or if someone wanted to go to culinary school or get into this industry, anything you could share with them? Sure. I mean, one thing that has happened over the years as a result of the efforts of Johnson Wales and in the, in the CIA, you know, it's just, there, there is a lot of opportunities to go to community colleges uh, for culinary school. So if it's not in your budget to go to go, go to one of those national schools, uh, certainly there are some really, really good culinary programs and you can look them up and, and, and learn more about them. And, th and there's some that are better than others. Uh, I'll, I'll just say that. But you can pretty much, if you do the research, you can find out which ones are more notable than others. Again, there's obviously our online academy, Pineapple Academy. So if you, you don't have those kind of funds and you want to learn as much as you can, go to your boss and say, hey, I want to do this Pineapple Academy thing. Uh, it's 10 minutes a day and, and I can get through all this curriculum and you know check this thing out. Or if you're in a different industry segment and you've been in food and beverage and you ran into the same problem that I had in 2008 and understanding the economy is shifting and you go, hey, I've been doing this for a long time and I need to get into senior living or acute care hospitals, you know, our platform can help you with that with education. Like I said, we have a free course right now. Take advantage of it and really check it out. 
And you could always reach me through the Pineapple Academy or through LinkedIn. I am wide open to communication. Uh, please email me and I will help you, you know, with my network. A very good friend of mine who I've known for years, executive chef at the top level, was trained through Ritz Carlton, uh, worked for Weston, a number of big high-end companies, done some incredible work opened up a bunch of hotels. The guy's top of his game. He calls me about six weeks ago. Hey, I got furloughed. I'm thinking about getting into senior living. You want to help me? And the next day I had him interviewing with, with a friend of mine. And so it's not going to stop. You know, this, this need for people with that background is needed in senior living. Um, there are some super high-end senior living communities out there that are looking for top chefs. So those opportunities are definitely out there. And I got to tell you, these guys are not are only going to be getting bigger and, and the demand is going to get greater. So if you've been in the hotel industry or the restaurant industry and you're struggling right now, great opportunity. And I'll tell you right now, the pay is better in many cases. The benefits are better in many cases. And the hours are certainly better. So if you're if you're a married person and you got kids and you're you're sick of this, you know, midnight on Friday and Saturday nights or two in the morning or holidays. I can't tell you, I, I spent the first 20 years of my adult life work every holiday there is. I, I can tell you, if you, if that's, if you want to start moving away from that and have more of a managed life, work-life balance, take a look at senior living. Yeah, no more New Year's Eve and Mother's Day brunches and all those other crazy days that we work in the industry. Right. There's certainly challenges, but I, I can promise you, you're not going to be putting in 70, 80-hour weeks like you used to. Great. Is there a question I should have asked that I did not, or is there anything else that uh, you want to share or last minute? You know, the only thing I would say is, you know, we all need mentors and we, we need it and it goes both ways. And so, you know, always keep that in mind in your career, you know, always help somebody else, you know, find the person that needs a hand and, and give, there's a lot of tools out there. And, and, and if you don't possess them yourself, you might know somebody, but I can tell you, you know, I'm sure reaching out to a guy like you or myself or someone, you know, on, that's on your podcast and stuff. Those are the type of guys or and gals who want to help others. So don't be afraid to ask. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I told you I started third trimester uh, in Providence. So I had the summer off. And so I went back to Cincinnati where my parents were living and I needed to get a job. At the time, believe it or not, Cincinnati had two five-star restaurants. The Masonette was one of them. And the Masonette was owned by a family called the Commissar family. And in my innocence and in, in cockiness or whatever you want to call it, I sent my resume directly to Mr. Commissar, the owner of the company. <laughs> First year student say, I'm off in the summer. I want to go work for you. And do you know that that man, I, I mean, I, I walked in with a suit on. I mean, trust me. I was like, that's the kind of guy this was. Five star, you know, restaurant. And I go in during the day. And the restaurant's closed, and I get I walked up the third floor up to his office, and I mean the history there was just incredible. And he had me sit at his, at his in his office with him, and he interviewed, talked to me. You know, obviously he was sizing me up, but I was just so I was just like, you know, I want to work for you, and this is why, and blah 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 blah. He picked up the phone, called the chef at one of his restaurants. He goes, "I'm sending a guy down there tomorrow. I want you to give him a job for the summer." Wow. So it just goes to show you, I mean, even though there's people in power or, or you think that are, are these powerful people with all this, whatever, some of them are the kindest. They, they, they didn't get there because someone gave, they worked hard. <laughs> 
they work hard to get and they and they they want to give back. And I and I spent the summer working at Chester's Roadhouse in Montgomery, Ohio. And he was an incredible chef there. And I spent the summer there. I was a, I was a saute cook on the line all summer long. We were doing 300 covers on Friday and Saturday nights. Let me tell you something. You learn a lot about cooking lines as a saute cook on a, on a place like that. And um, it was unbelievable experience. And I will never forget Mr. Commissar and thank him for what he did for me. I would certainly like to think that I can do that for other people as we go on here. Yeah, and he's in the hospitality business and he probably appreciated the in, taking the initiative and coming and talking to him. And he said, this person really is a, has drive and he'll be someone good in the long run. Exactly. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. And I want to first thank you, Greg, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. Really appreciate your time and your honesty and the insight you provided and even putting yourself out there as a mentor or someone that can help others if they just reach out. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. I appreciate it. All righty. Bye-bye now. Bye, Colin. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. So you all are a big part of this show. So please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinary school stories at gmail.com. That's culinary school stories at gmail.com or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207 207- 835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you, and that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next culinary school story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.